Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 21 of the M&M podcast. This is Michael Gallagher uh, from the Center for Research in Digital Education, also co-program director on the MSc in Digital Education at the University of Edinburgh. And I'm joined by Miles. Hi, I'm Miles Blaney. I am a service manager in digital learning, applications and media, and learning, teaching and web, and information services at the University of Edinburgh. Welcome, Miles. And it's nice to be back. We It's been a, a wee bit of a hiatus, but not really. We did one like maybe three weeks ago. Yeah, but, but it's, ha- just, it's just us. There's, there's nobody else. That's right. There's no guest star. There's there's nobody else. It's us actually returning to a subject that was the genesis of the podcast in the first instance, and that was around exploring bots and automation and their role in teaching. So this takes us back to the original reason for us to have uh, this podcast in the first in the first place. We just wanted yeah. to start documenting or you know recording these conversations. We were just naturally having around these very uncertain kind of uh, uh, spaces that, you know, were, were not fully realized or not fully formed. And do you know what's interesting as well? To think about, to think about where we were then and then the kind of, well, the, the situation that's happened now and the, the situation that we all find ourselves in and probably about how these topics about um, automation and teaching and things like that and, and you know, how they are coming more to the forefront potentially where we're seeing um, institutions trying to deal with, you know, or companies trying to sell how they deal with education online at scale as well. So yeah, an automation, which is, which is interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, the COVID thing is is certainly accelerated a lot of these conversations and certainly foregrounded the importance of, you know, having a sort of a critical voice in this space because it's very easy to, to succumb to the idea that automation could potentially just solve certain scale kind of issues or, <laughs> uh, and this idea that you're going to move an undergraduate course of 300 students online and not, not have to do a significant redesign around that course. Uh, you know, automation could be an alluring, you know, if kind of false, uh, false, uh, kind of profit in that space, I think. So yeah, it's good that we're returning to this conversation. And I think it's not, accidental that we're returning to it it's not strictly about covid is that we're we're nearing another stage in the project that beget this podcast so mm. uh and the project was called expanding the teacher function uh it started i i want to say sometime mid last year so yeah i think uh, mid to early last maybe april may time or yeah something like that we were having those conversations for a while before that but then it officially kicked off um with the addition of a research associate, uh, Marcus Breens, who will be joining us later, who has joined us before in this podcast, will be joining us a little bit later, uh, not on this podcast, but in a, another event. And so we we explored what the university response, the University of Edinburgh response would be to automation, how we might use it to meaningfully expand on what Sean Bain calls the teacher function, which is an amalgamation of of human teaching plus code plus algorithm plus uh, teacher-student agency, all of these different things aggregate into a larger teacher function. So we wanted to explore what the university uh, saw this teacher function being uh, in response to largely 
for lack of a better word, Miles, and maybe you can think of a better one, but I call we my, uh, Marcus and I largely referred to as dumb automation. That we weren't talking about machine learning. We weren't necessarily talking about AI or anything like that. We were just talking about simple automation sort of inserted into the teacher function. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Well, I, I think I, I used to call, so I used to kind of call them um, boring bots because they were kind of dumb. Um, and I think it's, I don't think it is kind of a harsh thing. I think it is, it's, um, I think it sums up kind of nicely because it does do very simple tasks, which could be effective um, and provide support or um, free up resource for people to focus on other things. Because um, I think, you know, we probably talk about this later on is about, you know, the amount of repetition that happens within teaching and, and administration and all that kind of stuff. And, and bots can help deal with that. But I think when you're talking about, you know, machine learning models and things like that, we're, we're nowhere near that kind of level of sophistication. Um, in this space because you're going to bleed into then you know learning analytics and stuff like that as well which is which we've talked about previously but i think you know i think dumb bots yeah i like to call them the boring bots but i've been told off for calling them boring bots before in meetings (laughs) so i I don't call them them anymore (laughs) i think they yeah it's interesting is like what you mentioned about learning analytics and data and all that stuff so i think it was very clear to us early on that this uh if we were to use student data, for example, as the as the learning bit of the whole learning equation that the bots were actually learning from from past experience and sort of moving into new spaces, while that's not necessarily completely outside the realm of possibility, it's not something we were completely comfortable with uh, either. Yeah. And so, so we basically where most of the research or most of the focus right now is on AI, machine learning, and these sorts of things. We thought. Well, there might be a, like a productive underlayer to this whole conversation of just looking at things that don't learn. They're just pre-programmed. They're essentially logic flows of some sort. You know, they might be able to take on board uh, student input, uh, but they're not necessarily changing their responses as a result. Uh, they might, uh, but more often than not, the ones suggested in this project were largely for lack of a better way to say it, they're, you know, dumb. They're not learning from their own activity. They're not learning necessarily from student data. Yeah. I think that's an important distinction to make at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there's, I think we're still at at that, at that kind of level about what could, what could something like this learn or what should it learn? And then the impact upon students and even the impact upon uh, people teaching is, is massive. And so, um, I think that's kind of a, a massive gray space right now. Um, I agree. So I, I think avoiding it at all costs is a good thing. Yeah, I think so. Until we're in a position to institutionally have that conversation in a meaningful way, in an ethically informed way, which I yeah. think we will be we will be in the, in the relatively near future. But I think at the time we kicked off that project, I don't think at least to me, it didn't feel like we were completely in a position to have that conversation. No, I, I, I don't think we were. And, and yet again, I, you know, it, it will be of interest to see how the current times will impact on that and whether, whether certain institutions will feel like they have to have a bit more kind of uh, analytics going on. Um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, I think at the time we were, we wanted boring. We wanted dumb. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think you're right about the COVID thing too with the data is that the data is now being, well, it always was on some level, but it's now being generated en masse. And I think the allure of look not using that data for some sort of performance enhancement, I'm using quotation marks, obviously, but it's audio, so you can't see that. <laughs> so per- performance, behavioral enhancement, oh, performance enhancement, these, are, these sorts of things uh, essentially will be, will be hard to resist for, for many, uh, obviously, but we're voting that for the time being. I think to arrive at, I think what we should start from the onset is saying this project was a research, pro- it was a research led project. Uh, and then it also had a practical component to it. It's like there was an idea that we, and there still is an idea, that we could develop bots that were reflections of the intent of the institution. So we put together a research project. That research project was participatory by nature. Uh, it lasted about, I want to say something like nine months, 10 months, at least the research uh, part of it, uh, almost a year. Uh, and it involved essentially you know, these design workshops, these were hypothetical design scenarios where we asked people to sort of map out what potentially uh, a, a bit of automation could do to enhance the teacher function. We we spent great care in these uh, workshops, these events to craft the narrative around what the teacher function was. So we're all working from an operating definition of what that is. Uh, and then to talk about the more, well, for lack of a better way to say it, the more dystopian scenarios sort Mm -hmm. of facing us down. And I have colleagues at the Center for Research and Digital Education writing a lot about that. Like Ben Williamson, for example, writes a lot about, you know, behavioral tech and all of these these things that we may or may not be comfortable with uh, in our near futures of education. Uh, So we framed the narrative around, okay, this is the dystopian. This This is what we don't want. So what are we as an institution going to do to map our own, uh, I don't want to say future, map our own space in this context? Uh, what does it look like for us? How can we create educational technology or automation or whatever it might be that reflects our values as an institution, our positions of teaching, uh, and these sorts of things? So a lot of that came up that it was very values-driven, very participatory. So we ran design workshops with students and faculty, and we had them separated at first, and then we realized it's much better to have them together. And so we started uh, pulling these groups together. We had many, many of those, and those were followed by a round of interviews with stakeholders throughout the university, professional staff, um, uh, faculty, students, uh, alumni, et cetera. So there was a whole range uh, of people we talked to. And we distilled all of that after a long time. We distilled all of that uh, into a handful of use cases. I, I'm not sure. Where, uh, do we call them prototypes in this? In this? No, I don't, I, don't, I, I don't know. I think you know. I think they are until until we see them and touch them. I think use cases is the best thing to say they are. Yeah, yeah. So we ended up with a, I can't remember the total amount. X number oh, of twelve or fourteen. Yeah, there's quite a few. So yeah. the. These were gener- these were distilled from probably something close to 80 or so that emerged from all the workshops, some of which overlapped or had consistent elements, some of which were um, so far outside the realm of possibility yeah, that we just scary. Immediate, immediately <laughs> scary and we immediately ignored. <laughs> but we evaluated them based on a series of metrics as well. And a lot of that had to do with values of the institution. We had a previous project at the university called Near Future Teaching 
that had sort of identified what the core values of the university were in response to teaching specifically. And so we used those values in a, as an evaluation metric for these use cases. And we took into consideration, you know, feasibility and app, you know, scope of application. Was it like a very bespoke use case uh, or was it something that could have a little bit more broader uh, application as well? And we came up with a handful that we are exploring how to take to the next step, which would be to uh, prototype them in some way. Yeah, and 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 see see what you're saying there, Michael, as well. That the fact that you had like eighty or quite a quite a lot of different kind of uh, concepts and ideas, and they and they're all generated by you know staff, students, alumni, any all lot of people. So you can see there's there's quite a lot of um, variations of what people view automation being an education or, or what they want it to do. Um, so, which is just shows you that in a way, there's not one kind of magic bullet that's going to fix everything. You know, that someone says, "There you go, that's automation sorted for you." And I think sometimes that's where people might get stuck with this kind of topic and concept that there's just one tool to rule them all, and there's really not. There's really not. It's very bespoke. I think most of the the most of what we learned from these use cases were it was like a lot of this work is going to be just naturally d- d- bespoke to the discipline or bespoke to the idiosyncratic practices of the teacher or the context in which they're teaching uh which is just a natural phenomenon in such a complex organization like a university with so many diverse uh interests and in, of this sort i think a lot of the use cases were very and rightly so pragmatic in nature. They were designed to do a very clear thing f- towards a very clear end. And I think that was part of the remarkable thing that we we all re- that we all noticed in this process was that given the right context provided, you know, we we provided a, a context to have this discussion around automation that everyone regardless of technological expertise were, were very able to have are, were very able to articulate what they thought the use cases should be. There was very little um, ambiguity or confusion or if properly presented, if properly ex- contextualized, mm-hmm. that even people who had never taught online, even people who had rarely interfaced with technology in their teaching or in their studying, uh, were, were capable of, of con- contributing to these discussions. They were It was quite a participatory kind of environment. Which was remarkable to me. Actually, I thought this would be a very unapproachable subject for many. <laughs> Do you know what? And on a because we've so within um, the DLAS project, I think one of the tasks that we did before yourself, um, for Marcus and yourself, um, did the research project. We actually did a kind of a um, university used to run an event in February. I forgot what it was called, um, but you could try and run things that hadn't been done before. And we ran a workshop for students. Oh, f- fest- uh, Festival of Creative, creative Learning. Learning. That is it. Yeah. Um, and that festival, it's, a great, it's a great event. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really good. And now, unfortunately, well, obviously it didn't go on this year, but I think last year they were potentially saying it wasn't going to run. Um, I think it's a great event because it actually let you, we actually just created a workshop in about for students only about how they would see, how they wanted to build a bot. And so we let them come along for a three-hour workshop and 
think about what they wanted to do, and then we used a mocking tool, a bot mock tool, um, to actually build a quite simple mock of a bot and let them let them run with it. And like you say, there people came in, you know, with no idea what we we're going to do, and they walked out part of a group that I built a very basic mock. So yeah. So in that case, you actually you actually built it during during the workshop, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. First hour, we get them to pens, papers, and sticky notes, and um, and build out their use cases, their name. The name of their bot was always fun. I'd always say to them, "Don't put Ed in it because obviously everything in Edinburgh is called Ed." Because it's we can't just, resist. We can't oh resist my it. Good I, Lord, honestly, I, I I can't resist it. I I put it into everything, like Ed in space, Edinburgh. I, I couldn't. Every project title has Ed in it somewhere. Oh, it's it's pain. And I think I think I said to the class, I think I said to the groups, I was like, ah, whatever you do, just don't call it Ed. I think we had six groups and three of them called it Ed something just to annoy me. So they didn't win. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, but they they they, they walked out with uh, bot examples written up in a bot mocking tool, which is basically an online tool which you can run through the kind of flows and you can click the buttons and then you, you'll see a UI and it's really nice. But it gives you that kind of you know, you can see it and you can understand it a bit more and um, you can understand your flow and, and the use case better. So yeah, it's really good. It's good stuff. Yeah, I think all of these workshops were quite instructive about what could work and what what didn't. And I think the use cases we've, we sort of settled on, I mean, COVID did get in the way. We should say that as well. Mm. Uh, we We had identified these use cases a long time ago. It feels like now, right? So it was towards the end of last year, end early of last year, this year. This year. Of- and I think we had to get approval as well. And I think that was yeah. January time. Oh, this, do you know what? It's, it just feels, the sun says to be March now. And I'm like, oh, I can't even remember that. Um, it feels like so long ago. Um, well, yeah, it was a whole bit. I mean, there was this idea that we had these use cases that we had vetted. We had walked through a research project with and, mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was this idea of getting approval, and that meant you know going through, um, you know, administrative kind of you know uh, processes, and yeah. and it was also getting academic sponsors, and yes. so we 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 largely turned to the same, at least in the first instance, we turned to the same people who more or less had suggested them in the first in the first place, and asked them if they would like to work with us to develop these and be this academic sponsor uh, for any kind of subsequent work we would do like prototyping it or mm-hmm. you know mocking it up a bit and mm-hmm. uh and then keep advancing it making sure it aligns with their pedagogical principles and their their disciplinary kind of domains and uh and these sorts of things and then just two things right on top of each other happened number one it was an industrial action yep for a lot a long period of f- february through march and then okay that lifts and we're oh we're all feeling pretty good we're coming back to work and then oh yeah there's covid so I think we were derailed for a little bit of time there. I mean, we were do we were still doing work. We were writing papers up and yeah. that kind of stuff. But it, it's it's had a major impact upon trying to get people to buy into it and commit. Um, and I think it's you know you set up to March and then obviously you know the the pivot happens and everybody shifts and there's a lot of reactionary work to get semester two finished and exams and then try and figure out and there's all their other anxieties going on um and uncertainness and so i think getting that commitment from people is understandably very difficult right now so um it is and i think people have been more or less i think the teaching staff in particular have been more or less full-on since 
March in 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 terms of so there there are reasonable uh you know at times there's a reasonable lack of engagement with this what could be seen as a like an ancillary project to what their core function is and at that point it was, was to start teaching online and start converting all their courses into the online space but we're returning slowly <laughs> we're we're slowly finding our footing again <laughs> and uh cuz it's been busy for us as well i mean we we've, we've been you know part yeah. of that of that effort as well. So we're kind of returning to our research and we're kind of happy about it. Um, should we walk through some of the use cases? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I think, I think the use case, but just to preface this, I think the use cases are very, very interesting in how number one, I think they are representative, which mean many, several people might've suggested something similar to the one we're describing. Uh, and, uh, number two, they're, they're very interesting in their, like I said earlier, their practicality. They're not flashy. They're not designed to be a commercial product. They are designed to do very specific things and to ultimately, and hopefully at least to expand what that teacher function is to improve on what that teacher function is. So that being said, what's the first one? So the first one is the onboarding bot. Um, so uh, this is the, the College of Science and Engineering that proposed this. And um, out of all of them, um, this is probably the one I like the most. <laughs> Not that we're meant to have favourites, by the way. Um, but I think the, the thing I like about this one, so basically what this bot is going to do is, um, I think it was proposed um, to say that for somebody that was going to start at the university, um, they'd be able to go through uh, and use this bot um, to gauge their knowledge of a certain topic. Um, and then um, what could happen is that they get some feedback on where they were and get some kind of prompts um, on things they could do to improve their knowledge. Um, and so there's lots of different levels we could take that to. Um, you know, we could, it's, it's student facing, obviously, but also maybe providing some feedback to the, to the teacher to see uh, the code that's coming in about uh, what level they're at and what they need to do maybe in the first few weeks to get everybody to the same level. So I think it's, I think it's great. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's what, it was my favorite too, to be honest with you. It's a, it's this idea that I think it, there's a degree of an inclusion aspect to it as well. And like mm. students who may or may not come from a background where they're familiar with the terminology or, or the domain they're entering in, uh, in the same way that somebody from a more, um, you know, privileged background would be, I think it gives them a diagnostic f to the teacher, as you said, it says, okay, this, you know, we have a, an uneven understanding of this domain before the term starts where it's already a little bit too hard to sort of uh, provide additional support to certain mm. students. It's just a little bit too late in the process is that this provides that diagnostic to the teacher and it provides a, some remedial instruction to the student as well. So they can take these courses over the court, you know, over the course of the summer, for example, before they enter uh, university, they can walk through some, some, some on we called it onboarding i'm not sure that's the correct term but yeah but either yeah. way but but it is it's like um it's it's kind of getting their foundational knowledge to a certain standard where they can that's walk right. in and they feel confident maybe or um the teacher knows where to to start or has a better impression of of 
the knowledge that's going to be in the room at that time. And I think it's that's right. there's quite a lot of things that could come off it. So it's not like a so I think the most primitive way of doing it would be a simple cue, a couple of questions and answers, and then based on what score you got, you get some feedback. But then again, you start expanding it out and building on top of it to make it a bit more, um, you know, to, to include more quizzes, more knowledge, to try and um, include different kind of questions could be involved. So I know speaking to the people that wanted to do it, you know, they were all, um, I think it was like maths 101 stuff that they were thinking about. Um, and it was all just to gauge that kind of, that benchmark in a way so they could help and I think that's what they wanted Agreed. to do. So, um, yeah, it, it it came from a real space of wanting to help. I yeah. think that was the, that was very clear. It was this idea that you know you felt um, as a teacher in those spaces when you have a student who's coming on is struggling, who might not understand, uh, fully appreciate the domain they're entering into, they might not have the background for it. Your desire to help them as a teacher is quite pronounced your capacity during the term to help them is quite limited, right? So this actually provides a little bit more capacity for that. And I think it, you're right. It stretches across any number of disciplines. You could imagine something like this being uh, was uh, in sciences, in the math, mm -hmm. who, yeah, yeah. who do have something like this already in play. Uh, you could imagine this being something like where the vernacular, where the terminology is really critical, like law. Mm. Like maybe maybe it's a it's a bot that just onboards you in the sense of learning the Latin terminology behind the legal terms. Anything like that could provide some utility uh, to the teacher. So I wow. think the onboarding bot was one of our favorites. Yeah, and and I just want to say like I, I think with these kind of things it, it it all comes down to the structure of the content as well. So for this, it would be having to make sure that the it isn't <laughs> so dry. <laughs> like Latin vernacular right. for law, which might be that's that's right. a hard bot to get involved with and stay stay in. Like, oh, what? Puer, puer, what's going on? So, yeah. Well, maybe, and we're just riffing now. This is like not, this is a, exactly what the uh, the point of the podcast is, is us just having this conversation. But maybe the, the Latin, the Latin, quote unquote, legal Latin bot is just a matter of having uh, scenarios thrust at them and just sort of yeah. having a discussion about what legal term that refers to, et cetera. So either way, the, the onboarding bot is one of our favorites. Um, and that was proposed by the College of Science and Engineering. I think that's important as well. Mm. The second one's the grouping bot, which sounds on the surface really rudimentary, but what is the grouping bot? No, it's just not your bot that you quite liked as well. I love this one. <laughs> So yeah, this this sounds really rudimentary, but do you want me to do you want yeah, me to talk this yeah, one through? Yeah, you, you talk because it's yeah. your. <laughs> so it's the whole idea of of that in in uh, when you're teaching online in particular, the whole idea of grouping becomes a very problematic, not problematic, I should say. Just it, it's it's a it could be a consuming kind of activity where you're spending time thinking about how things match, how groups interact. Uh, uh, you know, are you pushing for a diversity in the group itself or are you, you know, pushing for some complementary kind of activity where, you know, professional expertise or, or background or anything along those lines. So the grouping bot provides the teacher that instruction, that capacity to do that on the fly to assemble and disassemble groups around any number of pivot kind of metrics. So that could be uh, disciplinary background that could be uh, a professional background. It could be location. It could be geography. It could be any number of factors. Uh, 
you know, that, that they can rapidly assemble and disassemble groups. So now I, this is this is particularly important, I think, when you're dealing with any sort of scale. Uh, the idea of grouping uh, people in most common LMSs is 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 difficult. It's challenging, especially mm -hmm. for really large classes, and it generally defaults to a random setting. So this idea is largely just around having an interpretative kind of layer on top of that. that they can just choose based on a metric or based on a, some evaluation point. And I think that's, the, like you said there, you touched on within, you know, within certain other tools that we use like an LMS, groups are pretty, are pretty much a nightmare to manage and control and, and to create in some kind of sense, so sensical way anyway, based on some kind of criteria. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it sounds interesting. Um, That's a uh, the I think we just in the interest of 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 moving along, I suppose. We're just like the collaboration bot was the I love so we, the collaboration uh, bot. Yeah, so we went from orientation, sort of an onboarding thing. We went to a grouping thing, and now we're moving on, just kind of naturally into a collaboration bot. And it, like the, the the idea of this bot. So in my mind. I this the kind of collaboration of just being able to, you know, throw out prompts with a bunch of people and get them all to, you know, engage with it. And it doesn't have to be structured. It can be completely unstructured. And it can be based on kind of any kind of topics or things like that as well. But it gets people to collaborate and to think and to comment. Um, or maybe, yeah, I think it's a, it's a kind of, in, in a weird way, it's thinking about trying to engage people about certain kind of topics, but maybe not in the kind of, in a different space, trying to get them to think um, slightly differently, provoke them. And I think it sounds really nice. It doesn't sound, I'm trying to make it sound, it doesn't sound as formal. It sounds, yeah. a, bit, it I, sounds a bit less informal than um, you would do maybe in a discussion board or yeah, it's very people, true. Are bit, people are a bit scared to say, I think I think I remember having a chat with you one day. I think you said to me, discussion boards are always kind of, you know, it's they can be quite exhaustive, quite long posts, and everybody reading it and all that kind of stuff. And I think in this kind of space, maybe it could be a bit more lighthearted. And I always, in my mind, you know, I I know everybody loves a GIF right now, but I, I always have this kind of impression of people commenting, writing you know quick one lines and putting gifs and things like that, and. And then you're getting the audience to engage as well. And maybe the bot can engage and review those images and do comments as well. So it's, it seems a bit more fun, a bit more playful. That's it. I think that captures it right there. And that's actually in the original spirit of TeacherBot in, in 2015 was this idea of playful kind of interaction. It, it doesn't have to be, it could be a non sequitur. It could be slightly on the surface of it, slightly illogical. I think the person who proposed this also mentioned something about doing some rudimentary analysis of two papers from two different disciplines, kind of like incongruous disciplines, like, you know, science and mm. humanities or something, and then trying to smash up a, a title for a, a paper that would combine both. And it would, it would just naturally on the surface of it be illogical. It'd be, you know, kind of nonsensical. And at the same time, it would be kind of playful. So people would be hope, you would hope that people would have to interpret it respond to it uh be be provoked by it but not in a negative way it's just kind of playful experimental mm. kind of fun so a, a lot of this bot was around mashups and and like ice breaking and and you're the whole goal is to develop like 
collaborative working practices, ideally across disciplines too. So I think that was the original intention. Yeah, and, and you know what's really interesting about this as well is, is one thing we haven't really talked about is the visibility of these things. So the visibility of these bots and, and, and where, where people interact with them. And, and for this one especially, you know, what platform would this collaboration happen on? Um, you know, um, because that itself might affect how people want to collaborate or whether they can as well. And that's the that's other right. headache. That's the kind of where where's your audience going to be or where do you want them to be? Where are they going to be comfortable to be able to collaborate and say things and not be judged? <laughs> Which is, that's yeah. right. And I think that's, the, that's a good point. And it came out one of the other papers in some of the data, and then we wrote it up in one of the other papers for this project was – this idea to be invisible, like you can participate in a space without being monitored or surveilled necessarily. You just can exist mm. and you can play and you can fail mm. uh, and nobody cares. And that's ultimately what it is. You're not being surveilled. You're not being, com- you're not competing against some metric. Not everything that has to count. It's just playful. playful and I think learning. this one, ca- yeah, playful. This captures a bit of that, I think, yeah, this, I like this kind it. of collaboration. How about the t- tutorial bot, which was one of my favorites for, and I think would be one of the favorites for anybody who's actually run a tutorial. So it, the tutorial bot is, that's the bot regarding um, trying to prepare students for what they should do yeah. um, when they're going to have a tutorial. Because I think it's kind of a, is, isn't it one of those things that um, to make the best use of the time is trying to get That's everything right. lined up prior to that to make sure they understand it. But And I know we've said, I know for this use case, we've said tutorial, but, but in a way where it's trying to, you, you could say this example could be used for quite a few things to tell you the truth um, within the university. But I think tutorials actually were, you know, obviously there's more value because to have that half an hour, or whatever time is allocated and make the most of it and make sure that they are they understand what to do before and what they'll gain after is massive. I agree. Yeah, just making use of that synchronous time. I think if indeed, you know, the predominant kind of mode in, in online learning uh, is largely asynchronous, but that doesn't mean synchronous activity doesn't have its place. It certainly does. And especially so in, in this COVID times where you still have these things of, tutorials you still have these personal to team meetings you still have the idea of synchronous activity and so what the bot does in this case is it prompts the the student to prepare this this and this submit this this and this not nothing too onerous it's meant mm. to be light touch ahead of the meeting to make that meeting more constructive uh to more and to also signal i think to the student the tacit bits of being in higher education. Like, you know, you wouldn't necessarily know what a tutorial was or what was expected of you mm. if you were walking into this scenario from an international context or if you're walking into this scenario from a widening participation context, you might not know what a tutorial was or what the expectations were. This sort of provides sort of models or patterns that it, those expectations. And, that, and I think it was a clever, a clever addition, to be honest with you. And see, Michael, as well, thinking about this, thinking about this now when you're talking there, it's also useful because we're, you know, you're saying there for the student, but also for uh, the staff member um, to receive this information, to be able to review it in one place, maybe, um, instead of having to access it in numerous places as well. So it's thinking about, yeah, I know this is where it gets a bit more expansive, but 
thinking about the benefit for all parties involved, where you can say, you know, um, students know what they're doing and the staff have access to the information and they, they have a better picture of of the person that's coming into the room, maybe. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's um That's right. I think it's I think it's really useful for 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 all stakeholders in there and it's beneficial for everybody really. Yeah, that came out, you know, that's a good point, Miles. That came out in one of the other papers. It was this idea of that there's a desire to convert above and beyond automation, but there's a desire for teachers to convert high volume, low impact activity mm. into high impact, low volume activity. So mm. it's this idea that the contact, that the activity itself that the teacher is initiating is the high impact stuff. It's not uh, where do I have to go to find the student submission for this, this, and this? That there is a practical component to this. It should always be a practical component to this. Yeah, I think I think it's a key. use case. F- Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no I, think, I, I, I just say I think it, I think it's key. I think that's it. It's 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 them being center of it all. Do you know what I mean? So we, the, this whatever and and all these use cases, I think highlight the fact that the people, the students, or potential students or the students, potential students and the staff are all kind of key parts of it to try and help uh, and support. So. Yeah, I agree with that. That should be, it should be a win for all parties involved. I think Mm. ultimately it shouldn't Mm. just be focused necessarily on the student or the teacher, but definitely both and including, you know, a staff. I mean, it should professional services staff. It should be including everybody in summary. So a lot of the bots that, you know, I know miles you're experimenting with are, are, you know, around admissions or around these sorts Mm. of things. So it should service a function for all the parties involved. And I think we should wind up with the last one, which is the use case five. So these are the five that we thought were most, um, I don't say worthy. I mean, they were the most uh, like uh, the most likely to be advanced into a more kind of prototyping phase. And the last one is the co-creating knowledge bot, which a lot of its functionality is sort of already present in some uh, technological services. Uh, but this idea that alongside a, a curriculum or a syllabus uh, or a reading list or whatever it might be in a particular course, that the student has capacity to add to uh, or uh, contribute to the creation of the curriculum, and in a, literally in a technological way. So if they see a source, they can add another source to complement that source. Uh, if they if they're drawing from a particular newspaper or news outlet, they can contribute another, perhaps more localized news outlet of some sort. So it's this idea that students are able to layer an existing what might seem on the surface kind of staid kind of formal thing like the curriculum or uh, or the syllabus with additions of their own. And this is like this is knowledge construction for them and for the academics. That's right. It's, 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 That's right. It's, it's brilliant because it is the same. Yeah. It's, it's it, you know, okay, so academics create reading lists, okay, resource lists, and they tag them LMS. So um, well, what about students being able to go out and, and find stuff that they find and saying, well, I think this is useful as well. And then imagine year on year that expand that construction, you know what I mean, that evolution. That's That's great. And that's students being directly involved in that as well i think that's fab and it would be actually it could conceivably be an activity like it could be a pedagogical activity where you're asking them okay as part of this 
I want you to reflect on X and contribute to our expanding reading list Y. Mm. And here is what previous students in this course have contributed already. Mm. So this idea that you would see you would see it as an activity to, for you to reflect on what's being presented, you could actually go back and see what other cohorts have contributed to this kind of so you have this connection to other other members of your program and other members of your cohort mm. and then you you're you're actually building a much more robust potentially a much more robust uh, resource whatever it might be a reading list or you know uh, uh, you know database whatever whatever it might be the, the the capacity for the student to contribute to it is is made a little bit more visible with this uh, particular prototype a use case, I should say. But it's then reviewing and critiquing and, and analyzing and learning, do you know what I mean? And then contributing. Yeah. That's that's end to end. That sounds that's lovely. Right. That sounds great. That's one of my favorites too. I think I was I was just enamored by all of them, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think these five the five use cases, like I think you've touched on the point as well that obviously we wanted to try and prototype things that we could see potentially aren't so bespoke that they're um you know, we couldn't see them being expanded. I mean, using different schools and different areas. So I think it's like these cases all have uh, multifunctional kind of levels that we could tweak and change for certain areas and bespoke them without so much uh, engineering work, which I think is brilliant. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So there's some some versatility to a lot of mm. these that I think we Versatility. We see, you just, yeah. I, I used to use the whole two sentences and you say versatility. <laughs> That's why we're... It's a it's a it's an Abbott and Costello routine over here. That's what that's how we work. <laughs> that's how we work together. So I think just to close out, I think this is one of our longer longer ones. I think, but uh, that's okay because I think it's a good conversation. Just to close out is that we have a, a seminar on this project uh, run from the Center for Research in Digital Education. It's fully online. So if you go to the Center for Research in Digital Education. Uh, the three of us, which is Miles, myself, and our research, uh, former research associate, uh, Marcus Breens, who's gallivanting around Ethiopia currently working another research project, uh, will be discussing uh, the three papers that emerge from this project and talking about the different, uh, you know, narratives of teaching. Uh, we'll, we'll reiterate some of these use cases and we'll talk about uh how potentially a critical pedagogical position might be emerging through these kinds of provocations uh, raised by ed tech. So I think that's a good place to stop for us. What do you think, Miles? Yeah, I think that's, yeah. And I think if you can come along to the seminar, please do come along. Yeah, it'd be great to see you there. Yeah. So yeah. until then, uh, this is Michael Gallagher closing, closing off here. Uh, this is Miles Burney. Take care, stay safe. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Miles. Bye. Thanks, Michael. Bye.